Welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Morning. So as you saw outside, we have tables set up, breakfast burritos for all y'all, bagels and muffins and all that kind of fun stuff. So it should be a great backyard Sunday. Well, we're continuing our study in Revelation. And last week, for those of you who were here, we we started, and we started last week, a, a 30 days of worship. And we made a challenge, like, hey, the music you listen to in the car, wherever you go, like, how'd that be worship music? I don't know how many of you failed um, by accident or on purpose, or you just chose not to, or whatever, I don't know. I, I, I failed. I was in my car on my way to the bike shop. I think it was Saturday, Sunday. It was Sunday. Um, and I'm fixing all my kids' bikes, and I um, was in the vehicle, and all of a sudden, the radio's on. I didn't notice. I wasn't like, I didn't plug my phone in. I was just on my way. And this song, Flowers, by Miley Cyrus, um, starts playing, and I start singing it, because it's like, I'm not going to sing it, because it'll be in you guys' head, and that's not what I want. But I was just like, and then as I'm pulling closer to home, I was like, oh! I'm not listening to her. Turn the radio off. But I did not live in guilt. I'm sharing with you so that I can confess and make sure that we're all. But I'm just, I'm being, I'm, that really did happen. But um, I also have been, like, my radio, everything I've been listening to has been worship. And it's been encouraging for me. Next week, we'll be um, starting this week, um, um, starting Monday. But we'll be doing a devotional together. So we're gonna, at the end of service, I'm gonna have a scannable barcode for everybody. And, um, <clears throat> and then also the thing in front of you, not barcode, QR code. And then on that, there'll be a QR code so that we can all join together and do the devotion on worship together. But this week, as we continue in Revelation, we're in Revelation chapter five, we see that in heaven, worship is a regular thing. It's what happens to a soul when they're in the presence of the almighty, most holy God. Worship is a natural response. It's sort of like if you've ever been in the, in the presence of somebody famous, you immediately want to talk to them or you're sort of like, oh my gosh, there's so-and-so. I remember when I was a kid and I saw Charles Barkley at the um, Phoenix Open. That's when it was, what it was called 100 years ago, back when I was a kid. And I remember seeing him, and I was just like, oh my gosh, there's Charles Barkley. And I got out his, his uh, basketball card, and I went to go get him to autograph it. And he told me as a 12-year-old boy, I'm sorry, I'm not here to sign autographs today. I still hate him for that. <laughs> but no, the reality was what I'm trying to get is like being in his presence, being around him. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I just saw him play um, on the back on my TV and now he's there. And it's just like, we, whenever we're in the presence of, of somebody big, of somebody of a big name, we just are awestruck, aren't we? Imagine being in the presence of God. If that's to a, a person who fails, if that's to a person, even if I were running to Barkley today, I ran into Tom Chambers at a Cardinals game. And I was like, hey, I don't know how many of you even know who that is. He was a basketball player for the Suns a long time ago. But I ran into him. I was like, I was with one of my kids. I go, that's Tom Chambers. I go, hey, Tom, can I get a selfie with you? Not, he wasn't even that big of a name. 
but in the presence of God. The natural response is worship. The natural response is falling on one's face and praising him. And all this that we're reading in Revelation, all this that we're going through, this is all happening in the future. But at some point in the future, we will be there and these things will start happening. And for some of us, we'll go, I remember when I read about this very moment. And then we will bow and worship. If you would turn with me to Revelation chapter five in your Bibles. I found another one of those videos, except we, we redid the voice um, so that it wasn't so obnoxious. Um, but if you guys would watch the screens, I think these just help those of us who are visual learners to capture what's going on. So let's look together. God, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, power, and dominion forever and ever. And this morning, as we get into your, your word, as we dive into Revelation chapter 5, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and encourage us. Lord, I ask that today we might, Lord, just enter in and see a little bit more of how amazing, how powerful, and how mighty you truly are. And Lord, as you continue to move throughout our valley, reaching people and drawing people to yourself. Lord, I ask that you would just work through your church today. God, I think of my friend Tyler over at Cross Church El Mirage. God, I ask as, as they launch today, God, bless them. Pray that services would go smooth, that there would be no major issues with sound or, or any kind of thing like that. Lord, I pray for my friend Matt over at Orbit Church as they launch today out in um, Buckeye. God, bless them. Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, just bring people who've never heard you. And Lord, I pray that lives would be impacted because these two churches were started in, in Arizona, Lord. God, I ask that you'd bless us here at City View Church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we are, Revelation chapter 5. So the rest of Revelation, from chapter 4 on to the end, this is a vision that John is receiving. Whether it is multiple visions or one vision, one really long vision for a really long period of time, we don't know. Some scholars say it's one really long vision, that he just gets this multiple day in this trans-like or up that we don't, but many scholars believe this is over many days. For those of you who maybe you don't know, the guy who's writing this letter, the book of Revelation, he is writing it from a prison island called Patmos. He is a prisoner there for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he's there. That's why he's on this island called Patmos. And while he's there on this island, it says on a, on a God, on the Lord's day, God gave him this vision. And he is now seeing what is going to happen in the end times. So from Revelation chapter four all the way to the end, this is all future has not happened yet. So let's pick it up in verse, let's pick it up chapter five, verse one. John said, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, 
Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to take or to look into it. This phrase, this statement, I saw, is used all throughout the book of Revelation. What this is telling us is that John is an eyewitness of everything that is happening. He's not saying they saw or someone else saw. John is saying, I was there, this is what I saw, and I'm telling you exactly what I saw. I saw it. He saw, he said, I see somebody on the throne. And the person on the throne, as John continues to tell us, this is God the Father sitting on the throne in all his glory. And he said, and in his hand was a book. The, the word actually is scroll. There's gonna be a picture here. A scroll is something like this, except it probably would have been two parts of a scroll where he would have opened it like that. It, it would have been, so you saw a scroll, so you, you see a scroll here. And so John says, I see this scroll. It's written on the front and on the back. This scroll is the title deed or the contract to earth. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, and then when, when the people of Israel, or not the people, when the people on earth sinned then in, at the Tower of Babel, Satan sort of took over rule of earth. He claimed it because of sin. And God needed to pay it off. God needed to pay it back. God needed to reclaim it. This scroll, it says that it was written, something was written on the inside and on the back. And a scroll in those days, you would, in the Roman times, there, a scroll was typically used, a scroll like this for a contract, a marriage license, a bill of sale, a will, or a deed. And on the inside would be every single detail for that scroll. On the back of the scroll would be written a general like explanation of what's in the scroll. It would have been like, okay, inside, this is the basic, sort of just like a, a really basic idea on what's in this scroll. So that's what John is saying when he says, I see that it's written on the inside and on the out. It's sealed with seven seals. In, in, with Roman law required that a document of such importance would have seven wax seals on it. And each wax seal would have a, a string tied to it and attached to another part of the scroll. So as you're opening the scroll, different scrolls then would open at the same time. There would be multiple documents in one. And this angel says, no one is able to open. The angel is trying to make a point on how important this scroll is. And John cries. I can sympathize with John. I get it. I can cry occasionally at times. It says in verse four, then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy. If you're underlining in your journal Bibles right now, underline worthy. No one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold the lion, underline this part, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, underline that. The root of David, underline that. Has overcome, underline that. 
has overcome. This is such a huge statement. This is a statement that John is going to be able to stand on and hold on to and to continue to push on for the rest of his life. He says he has overcome so as to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders and the lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So John sees this angel, verses one through three, sees this angel and he sees God then on the throne and the angel says, who's worthy? And nobody came forward. Nobody came forward to open the scroll. John sees this moment and he's like, great, I'm here and nobody can do what needs to be done. And then he starts to cry as we saw in verse four. And then the angel comes up to him and says, stop crying. John's like, but there's nobody worthy. He says, stop crying because somebody is worthy. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb that was slain. He is worthy to take the scroll, not just to take it, but to take it and to open the seals. So what he sees is he sees a picture of a lamb. And this is a radical looking lamb, seven horns, seven eyes, blood all over as if it was killed, as if slain. So can, can you, I mean, I, I'm picturing a way, I mean, this has like one blood spot. I'm like, come on, can we just not like put like cut and like throat me? I don't know. They would cut the throat. Like there would be blood not on the back. I don't know why there's blood on the back of this, but I'm not an artist, but really ideal, the, the throat right here. This should be cut and there should be blood all over. That's slain. And John sees this. And he says there must be one who's worthy. Worthy means deserving or qualified to do this one must be worthy, must be deserving to, to qualify, to open the seals. They must have the power to do what needs to be done. And only one was worthy, and that one is Jesus. And then we get this definition, we get this very detailed description of who the one who is worthy to open this scroll, this scroll that holds all of our lives and the entire earth in jeopardy. This one scroll, not this one really, but the one that was in heaven. And the one worthy says he's the lion from the tribe of Judah. This was prophesied of Jesus back in Genesis chapter 49, verses 9 and 10. I encourage you, write that down. You can read it later, but there it's as Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, as Jacob is dying, he's blessing his children. He blesses his 12 sons, and each son either got a blessing or didn't. Reuben didn't get the main blessing because Reuben slept with one of his dad's wives. It's not really, you don't do that. And then you've got um, Levi, no, you have uh, Reuben and then some other sons, Simeon, Dan's at the, towards the you later. Uh, but you have other sons, so it skips the first three. The first three sin. The first three are a hot mess. One of them, it's because they go and their daughter, their sister was raped and then because of that, um, they go to this, 
nation of people and they say, hey, we'll let you marry our sister, but first you all must be circumcised. And then once all the guys get circumcised, then the two brothers go in and kill all the guys once they're in their worst amount of pain. Sort of smart. I mean, if you're gonna take over a whole nation and kill all of them, you want them in pain. I mean, what more pain could you ask to put a guy into? But that's what they do. And so they go and they kill all the men. It's sort of cheating. It's like a cheap shot. But so their dad is like, okay, you don't get the blessing and you don't get the blessing. And then Judah, even though Judah is not perfect by, at any, at, by any means, at this point in time, Judah, who the one who God is giving the blessing to be the great, 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 multiple great grandfather of, of Jesus, Judah sleeps with his own daughter-in-law who he thought was a prostitute. He, his, his daughter-in-law, her name's Tamar, and he, his, son, his first son marries her and he dies. And then, he gives his, and then his second son, he marries her and then he dies. At some point, you gotta be like, what's going on? Like, two sons down? What are you doing to my kids? And then she's like, well, give me your next son. Now, he's young. He's like, no, cougar. Um, <laughs> chill out. <laughs> Let him grow up a little bit. So then he, she, knows, she finds out that his son comes of age, and this is sort of the, this is what you did in those days. Like if, if, you, if you, your son doesn't bear children with the, the, to keep the name of, of the man alive or to keep the name going, it's just what you did. So she sees that Judah does not honor, so she goes and dresses like a harlot and sleeps with him and has a kid. Judah's not perfect, but yet God still blesses him. Some of you may look going, man, I don't, God, what could you do with my life? I'm a hot mess. And God could say, I could do a lot with, with anything. And so God chose Judah. And so Judah, it, it, then as, as Jacob blesses Judah, he's given in the, the blessing of, of Genesis chapter 49, 9 and 10, he is told that he is the, the lion of the tribe of Judah will come from Judah, this lion. And then it says in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 10, it speaks about the root of David, root meaning descendant of David. This is a messianic reference that, that is spoken to Isaiah the prophet hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is born. And then it says the lamb, the lamb as if slain. This term lamb used for the Messiah is only used once in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53, verse seven. And then it's used in the New Testament, excluding Revelation four times, referring to Jesus as the lamb. John 1, 29, John 1, 36, Acts 8, 32, 1 Peter 1, 19. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is really only referred to a lion here. But he's referred to as the lamb as if slain, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that died so that our sins might be forgiven, so that we might be made right over 30 times in the book of Revelation. This is his main title. It's not warrior, it's not conqueror, it's not he goes and destroys. It is our lamb, the one who dies, so that we might have life. 
I think there's a lot we can learn about the title Jesus chose. People love titles, don't they? If I were Jesus, I would have chosen lion. Lions are cool. Lions kill people. Lions are the king of the jungle. That's what lions do. I remember when I was in high school, there's this movie that came out called Ghosts in the Darkness. It was about these lions that were like taking over all these. Like, I love that movie. Lions are rad. I would have been like, yes, I'm Jesus, Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's my title throughout the book of Revelation. I'm the conquering lion. I'm the king of the jungle. That's who. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm a lamb that gave his life for the world. That's the title Jesus chose. This title speaks of his meekness as a lamb, his, that he's the savior as a lamb, that he's a, a judge as a lamb, that he is the picture of God's grace as a lamb. And as a lamb, he represents the redemption of all mankind to God. That's the picture Jesus wants us to see, that he's the lamb of God. But this is not your typical lamb. This lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Remember, the number seven throughout the book of Revelation is the number of completion. And many times when the number seven is referred to in a, in a statement like this, it's referring back to the Holy Spirit. So it says seven horns. Horns speak of strength and power. This, they speak of, of the mightiness of a king. He had seven horns. He's powerful. He had seven eyes, which speak of perfect omniscience, complete understanding and knowledge. These seven horns and seven eyes speak of the Holy Spirit. He is sent to search for the guilty and those who are going to be under judgment. This lamb who has already died for the sins of the world now is coming to take what's his. And because of the death of Jesus, those of us who have put our faith in him, we stand secure, we stand forgiven, and we stand in grace because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then John, he says, and he, and this lamb, so now he's, we're back, we're, we're, we're still in this heavenly, this heavenly realm, we're still at the throne room, and John is continuing to tell us what he sees. And so he sees this lamb with seven horns and seven eyes, as if slain, he sees him coming forward, he continues to tell us, and he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of God. So this lamb, and I can't picture it, I can't picture if the lamb is walking, I don't know, I picture some some bad, cool-looking lamb, way cooler than that, but bloody as all get out. Like, it's, it, you could tell it's been through a fight. That's what I see. You know, like a boxer, once they've, been, once they've been through a fight and they're bloody, you know they've been through battle. That's what I picture my Savior. It says, as if slain. He doesn't have a little, but like that little spot. Of, I don't even know why that artist even bothered drawing that. Lazy. No imagination. It says he goes up to the throne room of God and he takes, he doesn't take it disrespectfully, but he takes it like he knows it's his because he knows he's worthy for that scroll. He came and he took the, the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, which is God the Father. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Jesus takes the scroll and worship breaks out in heaven again. 
this scene that we're seeing here in Revelation is, has already been seen in Daniel chapter 7. Read this later. Read Daniel chapter 7. The exact same thing. God's title is the Ancient of Days there. So this imagery has already been seen. The people of Israel have already read this. They, they know this letter, but now they're given the details of what's happening. Why? Why is it happening this way? Because Jesus is claiming he is worthy. Jesus is doing what everyone else was hoping for, that he came to take what's his. Jesus is taking back mankind and earth. And the 24 elders, they fall down and worship. They fall down. They, they literally are like this. These guys who are worthy, they're just worshiping God like this. We, as the American church, we typically have a few ways of worship. We worship here. Sitting. We worship here. Occasionally, we get a little radical. We worship here. And if we're feeling super spiritual, we might go here. But there's so many different ways of worship throughout Scripture. I think behind me has a few different. I encourage you to read these this week. To prostrate oneself. I remember I heard a pastor say prostrate oneself. You don't... You don't do that. I don't even know how you would do that, but you don't do that. Prostrate means to lay down flat like I did. Deuteronomy 9.25. Sit, that is a way of worship. First Chronicles 17.16. Walking. Psalm 48.12. Jumping. You go for it. Acts 3.18. Acts 3.8, I mean. Kneeling. Psalm 95.6. Clapping. Psalm 47, one, standing. Psalm 33, eight. These are just a few ways of how we can worship Jesus, the Savior. And I wanna encourage you that as we worship, do this. Don't be so stuck in one. When we have worship nights, like, come ready to be like, God, I wanna worship you with my whole body. If you've ever been to a sporting event, like you do everything at a sporting event, you jump, you clap, you cheer, you yell, you chant, you, everybody's all involved. I mean, I go to a lot of sporting, I have boys, so you should see me at one of my kids, like youth sporting events, I get pretty crazy. But heaven, everybody, it's millions, billions, and it's, it's myriad, it's a number, they say myriad because there's no way to count. And it says the 24 elders, these guys that we learned about last week, these are probably representatives of believers, Old and New Testament. It says they played harps throughout the Old Testament. The harp was frequently used as an instrument of worship. And these, they had these bowls, these golden bowls full of incense. These bowls were used in the tabernacle and in the temple. They symbolized the priestly work of intercession, of, of, of prayers going to God. The incense and the bowls represented the prayers of believers throughout the ages that God promised to redeem on earth. And now we see that redemption coming. 
Some believe that the combination of the harps and the bowls symbolize all the prophecies of the old and new and all the prophets that they said that they're finally being answered. That this is a culmination of everything that has been said before and now we see this worship set of Old Testament, New Testament, of prayers, of prophecies and that these guys are playing and they're saying everything God said is happening. Verses nine and 10, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests of our God, to our God and they will reign upon the earth. They sang a new song. This new song is a song of redemption. We sing this new song throughout. We see this new song throughout scripture. There's a couple passages probably behind me. Psalm 33, 3, Psalm 43, Psalm 96, 1, Psalm 98, 1, Psalm 144, 9, Isaiah 42, 10, all say, and we sang a new song. And the new song speaks of the redemption, the death of Jesus to save us. That's the song we sing. It's, it's about nothing else. It's about nothing we can do. It's not about any other thing. The, the, the main theme of the song is Jesus, you died to redeem me a sinner. That's the song the new song, the song that is being sung. And the song opens with, you are worthy. He is worthy because he is the lamb, the lion, the king, the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And he is worthy to break the seals, meaning he is worthy to execute judgment and to do what needs to be done. He has the authority and the right to do so. And then we see more evidence of who this one is who's worthy. It says, you were slain. The only one that was slain was Jesus. You were worthy because you died. And you purchased for God. In 1 John, it says, and Jesus was our propitiation. He was our, our, the payment for our sins. You purchased for God. The word purchase is Argo azo, which means redeemed. It, it was a term that was used, a slave being purchased to be set free. So when it says you purchased for us, it's the idea of you were a slave to sin, but I purchased you for righteousness. I redeemed you so that you might be set free. And that's why the worship is so powerful there because people are seeing Jesus, angels and people are seeing Jesus, this King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, this one who died for them and this worship is being done in heaven because they are overwhelmed that they have been forgiven by such a great and awesome King Jesus. And that's what's happening. When we get into the presence of our King, this should be what overwhelms us when we walk in on Sunday mornings. This is why the battle is so strong when you come to church on Sunday mornings, when you wake up more tired on Sunday than any other day of the week, when your kids are way more, you choose the word, I can choose a few. I told one of you dads in here what my kids were like. Yeah, you choose the word. The battle is strong when we are on our way to church on a Sunday morning because you're worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the devil hates that. And when he knows his people are getting rejuvenated and ready for the next day, he will do anything and everything he can to keep you from a place that worships Jesus. 
He will distract and discourage and make you do anything else. He will bring up every other thing that you need to do. Anybody see Sundays as a day to get things done? The devil would love to use that. And these, these people, these angels, people are so overwhelmed with their Redeemer, Jesus. Sin that Jesus purchased. He, sin put us in debt to God. And Satan had the right of our sin, of our soul. He had rights over it, ownership of it. But then when Jesus died, Jesus, and when we put our faith in him, Jesus, no, they're mine. They're mine now. Colossians chapter two, verses 13 through 15 says this, when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that's you, that's us, that's me, he made you alive together with him and for forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt. I remember when Laramie and I, we, we short-sailed a house once back in 2008, and we owed Chase Bank. We had an 80-20 loan. The 80 was forgiven, the 20 was not. We owed Chase Bank 60-something thousand dollars. And then it was three years later, we didn't go and buy. A lot of people went and bought houses because they're like, well, I'll short sell this one, I'll go buy another one. That we, I, we just didn't feel right about it. So we went and suffered. We rented a small little place, actually literally down the street. And then we went to go buy a house and the realtor we were using, he said, hey, you guys chase bank wants their money still. I called Chase. I'm like, there's no way I could ever pay you back $60,000. I mean, I, at that time I was working, I was like a maintenance guy at a church making like, I think it was $28,000 a year. How I did anything. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <clears throat> and I was like, what can we do? Well, how much can you pay us? I look at my, I don't even know, I think I borrowed money from somebody. I said I could pay you such and such amount of money. I, don't, I was like, I don't, it was a, a portion of it. We worked a deal, we paid him cash. We paid off that person immediately. And then I got a letter in the mail that says your debt has been forgiven. I've kept that letter. I have so many copies of that letter. Because that letter symbolized to me, it, it showed me just that forgiveness that, that they said I'm forgiven. It's like, this, God, this is like what we get when we put our faith in you. You say, yeah, you did nothing for it, though. I did it all, and your debt has been forgiven. So Colossians, it says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Can you imagine if somebody brought out a scroll of all the decrees against you of every bad thing you've ever done or thought? Can you imagine what that would look like? Oh gosh, no thank you. I don't want that. I wouldn't want one of just one day. 
let alone my life. And it says, and they camped the decrees against us which were hostile to us, and he has taken them out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Your debt nailed to the cross that day Jesus died. And when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Man, the imagery that is happening in this moment of Colossians, these, the, see, Paul had an understanding of the spiritual realm. The rulers and authorities weren't Rome. The rulers and authorities were demons and these these evil beings that had this authority over earth. And when when Jesus died, you see, the devil, Satan, he had no clue how God was going to redeem the earth. He had no idea. That's why he killed Jesus. He thought, well, if I kill him, then maybe he won't be able to do what he says. But that was all part of God's plan was that Jesus would die. And when you read Psalm, I think it's Psalm 22, which is the the, the psalm that's all about Jesus, the the death of the Messiah. And it talks about the bulls of Bashan surrounding surrounding him. That's not bulls. That's speaking of the evil forces that were surrounding the cross, thinking they won that day. But in that moment, Jesus makes a public display of them saying, I won. They are mine. And that's what Jesus has done for each and every one of us in this room. That's why this room in heaven, that's why there's so much praise and glory and happening in this place. And it says that Jesus made them to be a kingdom of priests, which Peter reiterates in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9. I encourage you, read that passage this week. Write it in your journal. Read it this week. Revelation 5, as we finish off this section here, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures. That's the four beings we met last week. And the elders and the number of them were myriads of myriads. That that means it's too many to count. And thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in, which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb. This reminds me of a song, to him who sits on the throne And unto the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and power forever. I don't know how many of you remember that song. It's really old. Some of you are like, I've never, this is the first church I've ever been to. So don't, it's back when I was like teething probably. But when I read this, this, that's what I, I hear a song. And the four living creatures kept saying amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Again, this worship breaks out. Worthy is the lamb who was slain who died. Worthy because he is all-powerful. Worthy because he is rich in all possessions. Worthy because he is all-knowing, full of wisdom. Worthy to receive from everything that has breath and honor and glory, praise and blessing. Psalm 150 verse six says, let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And the angels proclaimed amen. Did you know that when we say amen, it's not just some word that you say at the end? 
that it actually has a meaning. The word amen means let it be or make it happen. When we all say amen, whatever the person praying, you're saying, I agree with that. So for those of us who tune out at that point when it's prayer time, for those of us who get onto our phones, now right now it's not fantasy football time, but those of us that that's the time to look and see what the scores are. And you're like, and then everybody says, and the pastor says, and everybody says, amen. And you all said amen, but you have no idea what they said. You just said yes to, the guy could have said, and Lord, I pray that every single person in this room would give me all their money so that I might go and buy the new car that I want. Lord, I pray that each person in this room would come and worship me and follow me and do everything I say that they should do. And you're all like, uh, da, da. and he's like, and everybody said amen. You're like, amen. Just get me out of here. No, 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 no. Amen says, God, may it be. God, let it be. And the elders fall down and they worship. Worship is active. Worship is not passive. Worship is not just in voice. Worship is a whole body kind of thing. And this is what we're hoping for in this room. That men, you in here, I heard you. I don't know how many of you men missed um, Thursday night. How many of you men were here Thursday night? Give, give it a shout, give it a shout, give it a shout. Let me hear you, men. Man, 68 guys worshiping the Lord. I don't know how many of you guys just stopped and listened. Woo! Makes me think of when, when um, Gideon takes 300 men into battle and they all chant. It makes the Philistine army freak out and they all start killing each other. It makes me think of when Joshua leads the people of Israel against the the walls of Jericho and they chant, men, men, when you lead, when you sing, darkness quivers. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. We don't have enough time to be shy. Worship. Let's be active worshipers of our King, of our Jesus, because he is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for us. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and being the lamb to die for the sins of the world. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming and convicting our hearts, for guiding us in truth, for teaching us how to live. God, I ask that you would infiltrate our souls today. That worship wouldn't just be what we do on Sunday morning, but may it be the life we live every single day, whether it's in the car, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's when we're with our friends, whether when we're hiking or working out in the gym or whether it's with our our kids or our wife, Lord, wherever we are, may we live with an attitude of worship, of awe, because you are worthy to receive glory and power and praise forever and ever.
Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click that follow button and tune in next week for another great message.